0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, August 2nd, the Sand Couch Edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm an editor at Slate, and I'm the father of Leo, who is four, and Eliza, who is seven.
1: I'm Rebecca Lavoy. I'm a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is turning 17 the day this podcast comes out, Teddy, who is 15, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is also 17.
4: And my name is Carvel Wallace. I'm a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 12, and Ezra, who is 15.
3: Today on our show, we have a question about dressing a two-year-old boy in a T-shirt with a feminist slogan on it, and another about the perennially fraught topic of adolescent grooming. Plus, as always, we will have triumphs and fails. We'll have recommendations. And on Slate Plus, Allison Benedict has a question for us. I don't even know what it is yet. Let's start with triumphs and fails. Carvel, triumph or fail?
4: I had a, a something of a triumph this week, which is that my... Uh, son Ezra who th- those some of you know is like I am always vaguely worried about if he's ever going to figure out what to do with his life and I mean I know he's 15 and it seems early but he's he he gives us a lot of opportunity to um, you know, as parents, be like, "Is this working out?" But he, um, he's such a great kid. And the one thing that he has always been really interested in and, and willing to work for, unlike school or like the dishes or anything, is filmmaking. He's really passionate about filmmaking. And so this summer, his mother and I decided to put uh, our money where his mouth was and pay for him to go to a two-week filmmaking camp in San Francisco. Of course, he was resistant. I don't want to go. And everyone's going to be better than me. And I don't. And never mind. It's Stupid, You know, all that stuff. But I was like, you're going. That's it. There's no questions about it. You're going to this stupid camp. That's what's happening. So he goes to the camp and he goes for two weeks. And the first week he is like, OK, this this might be OK. You know, and then in the second week there they have to. I think there are like 10 kids in the camp and they have to separate into two groups and make two films basically over the course of. Each group makes one film over the course of this two weeks, and the first week they learn all the stuff about sound editing, and and editors come in, and producers come in, and directors come in, and writers come in, and talk to the class. And then in the second week, they're given a camera, they have to write a script, they have to go out and film it as a group. And uh, on the final Friday, they have this mini film festival in which all the parents come into the camp and watch the films that were made, and I was genuinely like as a as a professional cultural critic and longtime film buff, I was genuinely impressed with the film they made. It was really, really good. And and um, Ezra came up with the idea and co-wrote the script and co-directed it. And it's just this very beautiful, simple story about two kids meeting on on the train. And um, I don't want to give any spoilers, but uh, I we'll post the link. It's a really beautiful film. It's called Muni Love. And uh, I have watched it like 10 times. And each time I watch it, I notice something else about what they did that I actually find technically and narratively impressive. So it's like I'm really, I'm like genuinely proud of what he did. And uh, I'm like, yeah, that's great. And the fact that he was... So focused, like school, getting him to school is like a nightmare. We talk about it all the time. But for camp, he had to go all the way into San Francisco by himself. It's like an hour-long journey on public transportation. He got up every single morning, got himself dressed, got out of the house, hopped on the train, did the whole thing, walked, took the bus, everything to get to camp on time. So it's like, it was just so great to see him functioning at such a high level and being so motivated about something that he cares about. And the end result was great. So um, I can't wait to post the link on uh, our page and see what everyone thinks about it. that's awesome
1: that's fantastic and I, I think that i really love that story i mean i really relate to it too because right. as you know i have sh- i have some of the similar concerns about teddy and we get into this trap when we have kids who just can't seem to figure stuff out that we think like they're not going to be able to function in the world like
2: <laughs> right <laughs> and
1: right. clearly he can and and i yeah. you know teddy just came back from this music camp he went to for a week Where he was living on a college campus for a week, managed to get himself showered, fed, bathed, dressed, was in this amazing concert at the end. Like, yeah, he's fine with life. It's like he's just not fine with the things that we want them to be fine about.
4: That's exactly right. And he's been saying that for, like, years. But I'm like, but you have to learn to do things you hate. That's how you become an adult. (laughs) He's like, I don't know, Dad. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) Time will tell.
3: <laughs> um all right we'll put that video on our uh, on our show page and it'll be in the slate parenting facebook group uh rebecca triumph or fail this week.
1: Uh, mine is a follow up and it's a triumph. I don't know if you remember a couple of months ago I told you guys that we were going on vacation this summer. That was last week We rented a house uh, in a place that's not too far from us only about an hour and a half away in Plum Island Massachusetts is one of my favorite places and no it is not the same Plum Island referenced in Silence of the Lambs I can't believe how many times I've had to answer that question this week um But I mentioned on the podcast that the place we rented had a sort of separate space and that we were going to be hosting a lot of teenagers during the week. And Mm. you guys at one point were like, let us know how that goes. Uh, (laughs) I just want to report back. (laughs) It went very well. It wasn't as many teenagers as we thought. I think there are going to be more next year because a lot of the teenagers that Henry's friends with were in this other summer program, this academic program that's popular uh, among smart kids here in New Hampshire. And so a lot of them weren't available. But he did have three guy friends come for half the week. And then, I think very smartly, he drove them home and picked up his girlfriend and brought her out for the second half of the week so he didn't, like, Oh, that mix. is brilliant. Yes. So he, with the three guy friends, they were just like dudes. They was like go out on the beach, like dig a sand couch and like swim all day every day or like drive to town and get lunch and like eat eat at the 25 cent like hot dog place and do whatever they wanted to do. And like I'd go up to that room and it was a freaking disaster. That whole back part of the house with the rooms and bathroom back there. There'd be like solo cups everywhere and maybe a little vomit. Not 100 percent sure on that. And just like a mess. <laughs> and it was a disaster. And it was separate and then they all left and then his wonderful sweet girlfriend coming out came out he cleaned up the whole back part of the house he cleaned up the kitchen he cleaned up everything he like washed the sheets on all the beds he like did everything like cleaned the bathroom got that weird smell out of there and when she came, they a bunch of girls and like kind of a mixed group of friends came out to spend a lot of time in and out. So it was like two distinct groups and it worked out fantastic. And it was really fun. And these kids were great. And sure, I think they did some, you know, after we went to bed, typical teen, hence the solo cup stuff. I don't really know. I don't really care. It all worked out. It was super fun. It was really fun taking them all out to eat. It was really fun cooking for all of them and hanging out on the beach with all of them and it all worked out great. So it was fine. It was just fine. We already booked the same house again for next year. It will be after they all graduate high school. So that may be crazy, but this year it was just fine.
3: That's awesome. Um, I slightly want to know more about the Sand Couch. (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you yeah, you uh, there were, you teased a few things in there that, that could be breakout episodes of their own. We moved um, very
3: quickly yeah. past the <laughs> sand, yeah, yeah. sand
1: couch. Sand couch. was brilliant. So the the beaches on Plum Island are kind of eroded. So there's like this, you know, there's like a little beach at beach and then like steeply goes down into the water and then the high tide comes up, the steep part, you know, when it's high tide. So they every day in the in the garage of this house we rented, they found like some gardening tools. And they'd go outside in the morning with three gigantic shovels, and they would dig into the um, embankment, the sand embankment, like a V-shaped, like huge, like sectional lounger. And then they would line it with towels, and that would be like their sand couch that they would sit on all day long. They would just like, you know, maintain the sand couch. They would, And they were done with swimming. They'd go sit on the sand couch. Like they were just too lazy or whatever to bring the stupid beach chairs, like the 10 feet from the house to where they were sitting. Uh, So they worked around that and made a sand couch.
4: Dude. I thought not, it was pretty No, cool. that's not, nice sand wait, couch, on, dude. That's a sweet sand couch. Yeah, that is not laziness. That is that is because <laughs> it's way more work to build a sand couch. That is guys like recognizing the awesomeness of building a sand couch yeah. and being like, there's no way we're dragging these lame ass, like factory made chairs <laughs> when we can <laughs> carve a couch out of the earth. Come on, we're men. I have a photo. I have, a photo. Like, I have a photo.
1: I can share it on the Facebook page below uh, Carvel's Amazing Sons. Amazing. That's so good. The sand couch
4: there's, so, <laughs> m- it's awesome. there's so much high achieving in that. Plus, this move about like inviting the friends first and then sending them away, then cleaning up all the crap and then bringing the a girlfriend, that is that's high level. You should be impressed. Really? I
1: was I was really impressed with that uh entire, and it, I had nothing to do with it. I was basically like, you are managing this. You are just. I mean, I did. I was a good, like, generous mom. I was like, I'm going to the grocery store. What kinds of stuff should you guys want to get for lunch or whatever? I mean, I, I didn't like just say like completely fend for yourselves, but. I was really impressed with how he organized the whole thing socially. It worked out great. It was, it was great for us, and it was great for him. And then he didn't have to give anybody, like, the short shrift. Like, he was able to, like, fully devote to being with his—like, they right. had water balloon fights. Like, they were idiots, like, three days that these boys were here. And then when uh, his girlfriend came out, it was just, like, lovely. It was just, like, nice. They were, like, you know, practicing Spanish and, like, sitting on the couch and reading books and— Sitting on chairs in the beach, not a sand couch. It was all very dignified.
3: <laughs> well done. So it was all good. <laughs> uh, great job. It's good to you know we hear a lot about the crisis of masculinity and Jordan Peterson and stuff like that, but it's good to see that there's no crisis of masculinity in your house or in your nope. uh, vacation home. <laughs> <laughs> I have a uh, I have a fail but it's really it's a follow-up fail the fail took place mostly last week on this show when uh, I told the the fail story of of uh, trying to explain to Leo about King Kong uh, if you weren't listening I will I will sum it up very briefly which is that he saw a clip of the movie King Kong with the giant ape climbing the Empire State Building and and trying to reassure him I told him that it was just a big guy in a gorilla suit and and he then was afraid that it was a giant man climbing the Empire State Building wearing a gorilla Suit, so I then had to correct him again and tell him it was just a like big guy like uh, his uncle Davis, the the biggest guy in his immediate orbit. Um, but uh, after I discussed that fail on this show last week, neither Carvel nor our guest host Dana Stevens thought to point out to me during the recording of the episode that, in fact, of course, the, the film King Kong was done with puppetry, that it's apparently a seminal work uh, in the history of practical effects and cinematic puppetry, and, and that in, in explain, mis-explaining it to my son in that way, uh, I, I had both revealed my ignorance and inculcated ignorance in him of this, this this important tradition uh, in the history of, of practical effects and cinematography. Uh, so that was one fail. I compounded the fail when I, I said to him later, you know, some, uh, people point this out on the Facebook group, I should say. Someone who I, I think is actually knowledgeable about this stuff told me in the Facebook group just how how badly I had failed there. Uh, so I, I, I went back to Leo and I told him, you remember that whole complicated thing we went through where first I told you that King Kong was a big guy in a gorilla suit and then I had to correct myself and say that he was only a, an, an order ordinary-sized guy in a gorilla suit. Well, it turns out he's none of those things. He's a puppet, like a marionette on strings, and the the so there's somebody pulling the strings to move his arms and his legs. And and then he was very confused because he's still sort of confused about the size, like the idea that the Empire <laughs> State Building was a small model of the Empire State Building is difficult for him. But I, I, I said, it's like a, a model of the Empire State Building, and it's a marionette, a puppet on strings, climbing climbing the model of the Empire State Building. And he said... Um maybe then they put a magnifying glass in front of the screen to make it there look like go. a big Empire State building and a big mm. gorilla. And at that point I decided, yeah, let's just leave it there. <laughs> let's just go with that. <laughs> let's let's just let him have that. <laughs> so now his belief is that the way practical effects work is that you have to put the magnifying glass, I guess, in front of the screen. Um, in any case, uh, I apologize to, to listeners for, uh, the, the bad information about the way, uh, the original film of King Kong
4: was made. Uh, That was the, the, uh, that that was was the the, the three three remaining members of all all
1: corrections.
4: Yeah. Yeah. The three remaining members of the original King Kong fandom were up in arms. uh. (laughs) In any
3: case, we strive, we strive for accuracy on this podcast, especially about the important stuff. Before we move on, let's do the business. First up, we are thrilled to announce Slate Day, a live podcast experience produced in connection with the Texas Tribune Festival. Uh, you'll get a chance to experience your favorite of Slate's politically-minded podcasts, Political Gab Fest, Trumpcast, Amicus, El Gabfest, and The Gist. You'll get to hear the shows live. You'll get to mingle with the hosts and your fellow fans during our cocktail party. There will be a Slate Day pop-up shop there for you to purchase exclusive merchandise this all takes place at the Capitol Factory in downtown Austin, Texas, on Saturday, December 29th, in partnership with the Texas Tribune Festival. That's an intimate venue with limited seating. So if you want to go, go to slate.com live for tickets and information. Again, that's Saturday, September 29th in Austin, Texas, slate.com live to find out all about Slate Day. Uh, as always, if you have a question that you would like us to answer on this show, mom and dad are fighting, you can leave us a message at 424-255-7833, or send us an email at at Uh, you should also be in our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and search for slate parenting. Uh, it's a great community. There are a ton of parents, listeners talking about this show, talking about their own lives and questions. Uh, I have seen threads and conversations happen there that are so much nicer than anything I've seen anywhere else on social media. I am really a fan of our Facebook group, facebook.com, uh, search for Slate Parenting. On Slate Plus today, Alison Benedict is going to join us. She has a question for us. I don't know specifically what it is. Maybe uh, we'll put a clip in right here.
1: The James Franco character in Freaks and Geeks, good or bad, and Michael Jackson, good or bad.
3: If you want to hear that segment uh, and get ad-free versions of this and your other favorite Slate podcasts, uh, you know how to do that. Join Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash momanddadplus. It's just $35 for your first year, and you help support this show and the rest of our work. Uh, Go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. Okay, back to the show. Okay, time now uh, for us to take a question from a listener. Uh, this one came to us over email. You can send us questions at at Uh This question is being read for us by Slate's own Shasha Leonard.
2: Dear mom and dad are fighting. I'm a passionate feminist. So is my mom. Recently, she bought a shirt for my son that had a statement on it about how women and girls shouldn't be underestimated. My husband does not want him to wear it because it came out of the girls' clothing section. Nothing about the shirt is overtly feminine, It's gray, has no ruffles, no glitter, although the text isn't pink and purple. My husband says he's afraid that dressing our son in girls' clothing is going to make him a target for bullying. Our son attends a daycare center located on a military base. It's an amazing school, and we love it, but my husband worries about the risk of encountering very conservative parents and kids. Our son is two, he can't read, and overall he really doesn't have much opinion about the clothes he wears right now. Given the choice between a shirt with a character on it that he recognizes, and a shirt with a feminist slogan on it that he can't understand, it's pretty obvious what his choice would probably be. Am I doing something wrong by sending him to school to potentially be picked on for wearing a shirt from the girls section if he didn't say explicitly, Mommy, I want to wear this today? Do I have to lay all of his shirts out on the floor every morning and demand that he choose? What is your opinion of parents dressing their kids in clothes that reflect a certain viewpoint that the kid isn't old enough to fully understand yet? Thanks.
3: I like this question. I feel like there's a lot going on under the surface mm-hmm. of this this potentially this, this seemingly <laughs> uh, this <laughs> seemingly simple question. I feel like there's a lot going on. Rebecca seems like you agree. You want to take first crack at
1: it? Yeah, this question's an onion, right? Because <laughs> like so many layers to it. Uh, the first layer being that your husband. I'm just going to say it. Uh, Is wrong, and it's not cool for him to lay social angst on the kids' shirt that are a little bit toxic around the messaging on the shirt. Uh, But then there's also the issue around. The final question the listener asked, which is super interesting to me, I'm kind of like with it, with it, with it. And then when she framed it as, is it okay to put your kid in a shirt with a slogan that he or she is too young to understand the meaning of? I'm like, no, that's not okay at all. I mean, only because uh, for me anyway, I know when it works in a different direction, it's like really not okay and this is something that comes up all the time when we see like little kids at rallies for causes that we vehemently disagree with holding like really horrible hateful signs and we're like that kid can't even read that sign yet the parent is like making the kid hold the sign because they're just doing this like thing together i don't think i mean my opinion is that uh, if you're just asking that question on its face, of course I'm completely cool with putting the feminist T-shirt on your kid. Like, that's fine. I mean, he doesn't understand. If he's, like, two years old, He, you know, he may see a character, but there are a lot of shirts that have print on them that say, like, daddy's favorite little boy or whatever that kids are too young to read, and we and we stick those shirts on them, and we don't even think twice about it. But when you ask that question specifically, I it kind of makes me cringe a little bit. Um, the same way I cringe when I see you know, lovely, well-meaning parents, like, you know, and I know this is like a somewhat controversial topic, but I'm just going to say it, like, I wouldn't pierce my kids' ears when they were a baby. I kind of just feel like they're kind of too young to know whether they want that or not. So, oh, like,
3: now we're now that. we're really getting into it. Now, <laughs> but, <laughs> Already we've term- jumped to a higher plane of controversy <laughs> know, than the t-shirts.
1: I know. I know. I know. And I will walk that back for a second. Not my opinion on it, because I'm talking about me, not other people. But like the messaging on shirts that are that you have identified as being political or a point of view or something, when you ask the question that way, my gut tells me I'm not super comfortable with that, no matter what the message is, if you're going to frame it that way. I was I was fine with it until until this uh, writer in framed it that way. I was just like, eh, you know, whatever, shirt probably sounds, it's probably adorable. He probably looks adorable in it. Dad needs to sort of, like, chill out and, like, not create a problem where there isn't necessarily a problem, yada, yada, yada. And then when she asked that question, yeah, my gut is like, if you feel like that's what you're doing, I don't know. Maybe think about it a little bit. Maybe let him wear around the house and, like, get yourself used to the idea. I don't know. I'm not sure what the right answer is, but framed that way.
4: Would you feel the same about putting a kid in, like, a Beatles t-shirt if the kid didn't know who the Beatles were?
1: No. Exactly because I wouldn't frame that overtly as should is it okay to put your kid in a t-shirt whose message they don't quite understand. Like the Beatles is a it's not the same question.
3: Well, that's, it could be a, maybe a... m- maybe the kid might hate the Beatles.
4: Well, the Maybe. kid might not know who the Beatles are. I mean, that's what I always think about when, like, parents are like, yeah, like, when this is a thing I used to see a lot in LA, especially, like, in the mid 2000s when, like, there was this kind of garage rock revival aesthetic among young hip parents. And people would always have their, like, you know, 18 month old and, like, Ramones t shirts and shit, like that. And I was like, Your no, kid no, Carvel, like the that's when I sold them Stop at Target. Like.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: but, uh, yeah, well, but, yeah, okay, so fine, but, like, Maybe that one's from Target too. The point is that, like, I don't, I we do put our kids, we do put our kids in clothes that they don't fully understand the meaning of. Is not that something? Mm-hmm. Should we never do that ever?
1: No, that's not. That's not what I'm saying. And that's why the last turner for questions so right. threw me. You know, right. because if I were, if I were to say, you know, I'm trying to think of like something that um, we can't clearly say because I, I can't. I don't think anybody who is reasonable would say that the message on that shirt was anything other than completely right. Right. But when you frame it as a cause or a belief, so let's say it's religion, right? Let's say, mm. you know, only only Jesus can save or something like that, uh, that, you know, the kid legitimately might grow up even if he's completely reasonable to just disagree with. Maybe he thinks that not only Jesus can save or I mean, I'm thinking there are other kinds of messages that are more Polarizing or that are more reasonably polarizing, you know, not like the ones that are just right or wrong. But the framing of that question threw me. I'll just be real. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) uh, I still say put the kid in the shirt. I don't think it's a big deal. But like, if you're going to frame it that way, maybe don't.
3: All right. So the shirt says something about um, women and girls shouldn't be underestimated. Now, I don't right. know that there's anybody who wants to argue that women and girls should be underestimated. Like, is anyone going to aff- even the anti-feminists <laughs> right. probably are not going to take the affirmative position <laughs> that, yes, we should underestimate women and girls. Um, uh, on that's the,
1: only something only a man would say, by uh, the way. On the other hand, on the other hand,
3: at, at at a the the act of a boy or a man wearing a shirt with a slogan that says, uh, women and girls shouldn't be underestimated. It's the act of wearing that's the political slogan, right? And it's the act of wearing it on a boy uh, that's a more political slogan than dressing your two-year-old girl in a slogan saying uh, women and girls shouldn't be underestimated. The second one f- is like uh, yeah. f- fits into the category of like girl power, look at me go, and the first one fits into the category of making a political statement. That's just the way in which that message is received in this context, and I think that's why the father is is concerned hmm. about how people uh, how people are going to respond to it in a way that I, I'm guessing he wouldn't be. If this was a daughter wearing the exact same shirt, mm. um, and the father specifically is concerned that the boy is going to be a target—that there's something feminizing about wearing this uh, like broad, generic uh, milk toast feminist slogan on a t-shirt on a boy. Um, I'm not as quick as Rebecca would be to say that the father doesn't necessarily know what he's talking about. I didn't grow up on a military base, but I would imagine that there are some environments in which a two year old boy wearing that t-shirt people are going to look weirdly at that and you don't know how they're going to react to that. That doesn't mean I think the father's right that you shouldn't wear it. It does mean, uh, if maybe he has a concern that needs to be taken seriously.
4: Wow. Yeah, this is, this is I, weirdly one of the most complicated questions we've had on the show because <laughs> I, I because it. It, it, yeah, it is because it, um, it, the, the bullying, like not wanting, okay, so there's, there are multiple issues overlapping here. You don't want your child to be bullied. That's a fundamental thing. Every parent could agree. Gee, I, if I could have an option about whether or not my two year old was bullied, I would choose not. Thank you very much. And so in that regard, what the, what the, I would say that the premise of the question, if we take at its word that it's possible that bullying may happen, which is not a far-fetched premise, although I don't know for sure because I don't live on this base, that's not a far-fetched premise. So yeah, that with that, I understand the fear around that. But it's also true that like, This T-shirt just says women and girls shouldn't be underestimated. As Gabe rightly points out, that is not a political statement. It shouldn't be. I mean, it is, but it shouldn't be. And that's what's crazy making about this question. And Mm -hmm. I was also thinking the same thing Gabe was thinking, which is that we would not have this question if it was like, can my daughter wear a shirt that said, you know, women and girls shouldn't be underestimated. I mean that might be controversial in some areas for a girl to wear that shirt but those people probably aren't listeners to this show generally <laughs> and so it, so it, it i mean it's true because remember when there was the whole like I can't wait for the day there'd be a woman president t-shirt at Walmart and then they yanked that that was a whole thing that was a very that was a very straightforward concept, and yet it was deemed, like, overtly political and aggressive in some sectors of the country. And um, and so I believe there are some places where even a girl wearing that shirt would be met with some kind of judgment from adults, but I, we probably wouldn't get that letter. So Gabe's right that the problem, or the, the problem in the eyes of the people writing this letter is that it's a boy saying that girls shouldn't be underestimated, which is, the, the letter writer says is in their context, that's an aggressive act and one that might invite (laughs) retaliation. Which, first of all, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge how fucking crazy that is. Like, that's crazy that that is a... I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying that's a fucking crazy reality. That, like, a boy saying, hey, women and girls should not be underestimated would be so aggressive to some people that it might invite retaliation and that you have to figure out how to deal with that potential retaliation. That's wild. It is. I think that's the world
3: we live in. It's possible yeah, it that's is. the world the it letter is. writer lives in as well. Yeah, but one of the ways, yeah, that.
4: but I, I I, make it, I try really hard to not stop being unpleasantly surprised and shocked by horrors in the world because yeah. I feel like that's an important part of not accepting things. And so that is the world we live in. And also it's fucking crazy. Yeah, And, and um, so then there's this thing about the father who clearly is very uncomfortable <laughs> like with all kinds of stuff and clearly does not just thinks the father's got a lot of issues and I think I don't even need to go into all of them.
3: What if the father just knows his community? What if the father is just making an accurate assessment of the assholes that he lives around? He married married a
4: passionate feminist. So this is where I get it. That's true. Now, he did. That's true. But here's where I get into the thing that I probably do maybe more than other people. Like, I really parse these letters, like, like, text by text, and I read them like academic texts. And the way that this person worded it doesn't suggest that the father, like, is, I feel like if someone was married to a passionate feminist, and they were like, the dad is a passionate feminist, but he's worried that other people, this might be difficult for a kid, she would have said that in the letter. Because letter writers tend to include information like that. Right, But this letter writer lets, lets it float that the dad is a little bit of a, of a rockhead when it comes to these concepts and definitely lets that impression be like visible throughout. She doesn't say it directly, but I feel like she's certainly comfortable with that being implied. So my guess is that they probably have clashed on more than just this issue. Um, so what I think is that I actually think it's fine for your kids to wear stuff that you believe in that they don't fully know. I th- I think that's true, because I think that we do indoctrinate our kids into our beliefs, and we I had this question on the on the Karen feeding thing way back. Uh, I don't remember exactly what question it was, but someone asked, "Is it okay to like tell our kids this political stuff?" And is it is that indoctrination? And what I've said in that and I still think it's true is that what's indoctrination is when you force your kids to believe something that you don't believe but you're just trying to sort of like like brainwash them into th- – that was the word the person used, brainwash. And I think it's brainwashing when you're tr- when you're trying to force your kids to like push something that you don't fully believe or live by. But you find it expedient for them to look like it. That's kind of a virtue signaling, which I think happens on either side, although it might not be called virtue signaling on both sides. But that is fucked up. But there's no way in which we don't indoctrinate our kids into our beliefs. That's the thing. And even people who were like, take, like Westboro Baptist Church people who take their kids to those horrific demonstrations. They are indoctrinating their kids into their beliefs, and I'm indoctrinating my kids into mine. That is something. I don't think that you don't indoctrinate your kids into your beliefs. And so I don't think that saying to a a toddler, yeah, like, women and girls shouldn't be underestimated. They frequently are. That's something I believe. And that's what this shirt says. And then letting the kid decide whether or not they want to wear it. I don't think that that's wrong. I understand that people might not like it. Sure, but you, you took like a turn
3: there where you said the kid then yeah. gets to decide whether they want to the wear. The kid gets I, to decide. Yeah, I think. That's I think true. if we if if the kid is old enough to decide, I don't think we have an issue here, right? I think the right. kid gets to wear whatever. Shirt well, the problem is the kid is the kid isn't old enough to read. Right. That's the the,
4: pr- right. But you tell, but the kid is old enough to understand words, and I, and I, I mean, if you explain this concept, the purity of the pure meaning of this t-shirt to a kid, I think at three or two is the kid two. The kid's two. Two. I think it. I think it too, they, they that's it's possible for them to understand what this shirt means. What they probably want to understand is all the intense intensity and complexity in our current culture around this idea. But what this shirt means, I don't think is that high minded a concept. It's pretty straightforward. So I think you get to say to your kid, this is what this shirt means. And if the kid is like, yeah, I don't want to wear it, then you don't you don't make them wear it because there's no need to force someone to do something they don't want to do. And that might be the other thing I, I, like, file under brainwashing is forcing a kid to do something that they don't want to do because of your political beliefs. But I don't necessarily think that it's problematic to say to a kid, this is what I believe and that's what this shirt says. And if a kid says, yeah, I don't want to do that, then I think you don't just go, well, hey, the kid doesn't want to treat women and girls as equal. So what are you going to do? Like to each their own. Like you say, all right, this is a fact. This is like something that I have to work with with my child over the course of time. Unfortunately, I get the next fucking 16 years to work on this with them. So let us begin.
3: I think that that's a great way of looking at it when you have access to the kid's subjectivity. Uh, but I think uh, if you look at the letter, you see that the kid's subjectivity is basically entirely absent from the letter and from the whole question of the t shirt. The letter writer says, uh, he can't. Read. He doesn't have very much opinion about the clothes he wears. He would prefer to wear a shirt with a character from TV that he recognizes rather than a shirt with a feminist slogan that he can't understand. So I think the kid is at mm. a point where we don't have access to the kid's opinion about this, which would be a great. It would be great if we could just defer the quandary onto the kid's preferences, but I, I don't think we can do that in this case. And so in this case, I think we have to say, is it okay for me to put this this slogan expressing values that I myself firmly believed expressed in a fairly innocent way? Uh, uh, onto a kid who can't really have an, a position on those values one way or another, given that he is two and prefers PJ masks to feminism. But
4: the kid, but I disagree with that part because I think the kid totally can have a position. The letter writer just hasn't hasn't worked it yet. That's hmm. and that's where the letter writer is like that. The, I guess what I'm saying is that the letter writer has missed an important step in this. Right? There's a presumption here that the kid can't understand these concepts, but that's not true. The kid can. The letter writer just hasn't gone about it yet.
1: But there's also that's, a presumption that this saying. kid is going to have a shitty experience at his daycare if he wears this T-shirt, and you guys are fine with going along with that presumption, and I'm not fine with going along with that presumption. These kids well, are two, like, like that's that's the up, that's the part yeah, of it that no, I so well, really disagree with. Daycare,
3: the daycare providers yeah. aren't two, right? The staff there aren't two. There's there's, right. plenty, there's plenty of adults in this in the orbit of this kid to worry about.
1: Right, and if and some the, conservative parent the father is parent, worried about, and
3: that I don't think that you can dismiss that concern.
1: Okay, so let's well, just play that out yeah. then. So Ooh. let's just say this kid wears this t shirt to this daycare, where all the other kids are two, right? Yeah. And some horrible parent who doesn't believe that women yeah. can accomplish things looks at these people's son in this t shirt and says something. I That's don't know what girl, they would yeah. say to That's a, a girl's shirt is the thing that they would right. say. Fine. So let's say that. Like Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's not great, but he's dinner <laughs> too.
2: Yeah, and doesn't I, that I say, actually and
1: that and that and that, that kind of says more about the community and the school and the people and like that's the conversation you should be having. Like, like, shouldn't it be okay to send your kid to school in this shirt if you chose to? If you didn't buy the whole thing that I said earlier about the political message thing, and like, fuck those parents who might have an issue with this shirt. It I mean, def- they're not. I mean, are they really going to be bullying a two-year-old?
3: It definitely should be okay, and I definitely hope nobody's going to be bullying a two-year-old. Apparently, the dad is concerned about that, and and if but if, the dad isn't if worried you're about. Him thing. If Carvel's no, 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 no. solution isn't wor- is is ask the kid what the kid wants, and the kid is not able to articulate what the kid wants, and Rebecca's solution is drop out of the military in order to get your no, kid off of the no, base no, no, and into no, no, another no, day. No, no, I no, feel no. like we're failing to, a a to strab- engage. No, you're
4: strumming all over of the, the place. place. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. No. Hold on. So wait. So so. Rebecca is. I, I I absolutely agree with Rebecca. But the the problem isn't. No, this isn't. But but like and the problem isn't that the child is <laughs> that the parents are worried about the child being bullied. The dad is worrying about him. The dad's worrying about mm-hmm. the dad being looked at the wrong way by yep. other bros on the fucking military base who think that he dresses his child like a girl. And that's something it's he needs to get the thing. fuck over. That's why. And that and that's why that's I feel right. like the dad's opinion actually has nothing to do with this question. Like, honestly, this guy needs to be he's not he is not a helpful influence anywhere in this question. I think the concept on the shirt is really fucking simple. And I do think that Rebecca does raise an interesting point about about forcing your kids to wear stuff that you believe, which I hadn't which I which I admit I hadn't fully thought through until this letter articulated it and then Rebecca drew it out. So, I think the solution there is to is because mainly because the kid can't read, not because the kid can't understand the concepts. This kid can totally understand these concepts. I believe I just think they haven't been explained simply enough. And so you explain the concept really fucking simple. And the the honesty is that Unless a two-year-old is a fucking sociopath and it, or has already been completely indoctrinated by horrible meninists, which doesn't sound like this kid has yet, they're probably going to be like, "Yeah, sure, totally cool, whatever." Like, what's? Can I get some goldfish now? So I, and move on <laughs> with my life. And so I think it's actually pretty straightforward that this kid would totally support the message on this T-shirt, and that the kid should, and the dad needs to fucking grow a pair of whatever he needs to grow in order to be like to deal with the reality of the situation. And that, to me, the main problem here is that someone has to stand up for these principles. That's that's what really bothers me here. Someone has to stand up for these principles. Mm-hmm. And that does mean facing some resistance. And the, the dad's problem isn't that he doesn't believe them, but that he won't stand up for them. Right. And the dad needs to stand the hell up for them. And the mother wants to stand up for them, but she's having a hard time because she's surrounded... By a, She's with a guy who won't stand up for them and, and who's telling her that she's in a community where no one will stand up for them. And it's true. All I'm acknowledging is that you don't want your kid to be the canary in the coal mine. That's a terrifying thought just on a pure basic human level. However, it seems to me that someone needs to stand up for these principles. And it doesn't—I'm not 100% sure that this is the completely wrong place to do it. I think— that I just think that you tell the kid what the shirt means. The kid will 99% be fine wearing the shirt. And then you stand up for the kid as as he goes through his life.
1: It's an onion. I told you. Uh, <laughs> you were right. You were right.
3: <laughs> I, I say what the hell. Give it a shot. Put the T-shirt on the kid. See what happens. Thank you for the question. Uh, do me a favor and uh, write back and uh, let us know how it goes on your son's first day at daycare uh, wearing a proudly feminist slogan on his T-shirt. It's time for us to take another question. This one, once again, being read by Shasha Uh You can email us questions at at slate.com or uh, call and leave a voicemail at 424-255-7833.
2: Dear mom and dad are fighting. I have a son who is soon to be 15 and he couldn't care less about personal hygiene. He does shower and wash his hair every day. So he's not stinky, but he does nothing else in the way of personal care or grooming. I have to repeatedly ask him to get him to clip his nails, and he hates having his hair cut, so it's usually just a grown-out mess. He would rather wear a cap than attempt to style his hair. He is getting some facial hair that needs to be shaved, and his dad hasn't really stepped up to show him how to do it because his dad says it's too soon, yet the hair is there and looks scraggly and messy. He also has a bit of typical teenage acne, but neglects using any sort of product for it, even though I've bought him his own stuff to use. Also possibly related... He's gained a bit of weight recently due to poor snacking and no exercise habits, so I'm guessing his body self-image is not great at the moment. I don't want to be a nag or make him feel bad about himself, but how can I encourage him to just take better care of himself? At this stage, he doesn't want to listen to anything I have to say, which is, I know, typical. Maybe I just need to chill out and wait for him to care, but I don't want him to turn into an adult slob. Thank you.
4: Mm. Wow. I am I am a thousand percent sure that that Joe wrote this email. That, that this is Joe writing about our fifteen year old son. I've never seen anything more accurately related to the experience that we have. I mean, every, every line in here is exactly what we're experiencing. And so, um, my so there's so just to take it piece by piece. My overall message is kind of like don't wor- worry about it. Kind of that's my overall message because. There are a variety of factors involved with the fact that teenage boys are sketchy on hygiene at best. Not every single teenage boy is, but a lot are. I know I was when I was a teenager. I know that my own son is. And he does take a shower every day, which is great. And he washes his hair every day, which means he cares about something. And he's not really, I mean, it would be, I don't think it's too soon for the dad to show him, like, how to deal with the razor. But I don't think it's, like, the fact that he's not doing that is some kind of catastrophe. The What is at stake here, right, for the letter writer is that this future version of the kid will never know how to take care of himself. So the letter writer is projecting into the year 2025 when the kid is like, you know, is like sitting on a couch surrounded by Pringles and Cheetos and, you know, and like and just lives a messy, terrible life. And I've, I generally feel that my best parenting doesn't come from future tripping fears, and I do a lot of future tripping fears. We talked about that in the opening segment. And but my and it's normal for me to do that, but I try not to parent from that place because it keeps me from being like where the kid needs me to be, which is right here with them. I think that it's fine that the kid's grooming stuff is sketchy. Uh, the only – and so you should let it go because the social stuff – the first time a kid at school says, man, your breath stinks – <laughs> then that's gonna be something. The first time like a, a kid that your kid is interested in, maybe romantically or something, says, Oh, your breast stinks, then that's gonna change everything. Your kid will never put down, toothpaste, mouthwash, there'll be axe body spray everywhere. It's gonna be a mess. And you're gonna be complaining about how your entire bathroom smells like cedar and firewood or whatever <laughs> weird like smells they use now. So I, I think that you're fine in that. The one thing that that i do want to flag here and i'm sure other people are seeing this too is that it's it is interesting to think about the possibility of some kind of depression here not just because of the lack of grooming which is normal but the lack of grooming plus the junk food maybe if you find that your kid is having a seeming to have social anxiety is not going out of the house is not talking to people is not interacting with friends is not making social plans is sort of like coming home from school never talking about anything that happened closing the door to his room staying in there for nine hours straight that's when you want to start to think about maybe there's something else going on that's because that could be happening nothing in the letter indicates that it 100% is but Stuff in the letter indicates it sort of overlaps with what happens with teenage depression. So I would Mm. keep an eye on that if I were you. What do you think, Rebecca?
1: I have other concerns. And Mm. my concerns are about this mom. And uh, writer in her, please take this in the spirit of love with which I mean it. But I think this is more about you than about your son, (laughs) potentially. I think that you are uncomfortable with having a 15-year-old who has a little bit of acne he's not taken care of, who's a little bit overweight, mm. who's kind of sloppy around the face and hair, and who's wearing, like, slovenly clothes or whatever. I think that that is not the son you would love to be at a restaurant sitting next to and showing off to the world. And mm. the reason that I am confident in, in sharing this feeling with you is because I have been where you are. And I can tell you that you need... You, it's not that you should lay off. You need to lay off because your son knows that his appearance and his general lack of care about clipping his nails or whatever, he knows it gets under your skin and he knows you cared about it a lot and that is making him resist, not to say F you to you, because at the At the moment, he doesn't think it's that important. And you know what? It isn't. It actually isn't that important. This is an extremely typical pre-adolescent and adolescent phase. Henry went through it much younger than Teddy. Henry went through it at about 10, 11, 12. He was shaped like a meatball. He was greasy, (laughs) long hair. He was a mess. His his ears were always full of wax. It was disgusting. (laughs) Teddy went through it just like last year. Uh, when he was like at the beginning, end of eighth grade, beginning of his freshman year, when it w- was more noticeable because some of the kids were coming, starting to come out of it and take better care of themselves, and he was just like, "Fuck that! I'm still wearing my like nylon shorts every day." And uh, and he's coming out of it now and is like thinking more. And he look, will sometimes say to me like, "Hey, can you take me to get a haircut?" Which is new, and I'm just like, "Sure, I'm gonna take a haircut." I'm not like, "Oh, thank God, please," uh, but. It really is at some point during this phase about the parents and who they imagined their their kids might be. And, yeah, kids, sometimes the way they look is embarrassing. It's not what we would choose for them. But I also know, because it's I've been there, that the more you care about it, the more they'll care about not caring about it. So I would say if you have to do whatever you have to do to pretend that this doesn't matter to you at all, remember that you love your son very much. Think about the worst-case scenario, that he looks like this for the rest of his life and never cares. Will you still love him more than anything? Of course you will. Focus on that. Forget about the nails. Forget about the hair. Forget about the shaving. That will come, as Carvel says, I agree. And just think about where this is coming from and, and try to put a cork in it.
3: I agree 100%. Um, just the one thing I want to point to in the letter is that it starts with, um, you know, I have a son who's soon to be 15. He couldn't care less about per, uh, about personal hygiene. And then none of the issues described are actually about personal, Sorry, personal hygiene, hygiene at all. Yeah. Personal hygiene is quite important. If your son is like actually dirty and has BO and isn't cleaning himself and is getting like fungus in his toes and disgusting crabs in his pubic hair and stuff like that, then like, yeah, you should definitely be concerned. This is a kid who is showering and washing his hair every single day. He's perfectly clean. His hygiene is terrific. He's hygienic. Your yeah. problem is with his appearance. Your problem is with grooming, mm-hmm. not with hygiene. You mm-hmm. want your son to get a haircut so that he looks nice you want him to to trim his nails and and shave off his peach fuzz and and take care of his acne so that he looks nice and presents better. I can see how you would want that, but that's apparently not what he wants to do. And it's not a health issue and it's not a hygiene issue. And I think you got to let him figure out how he wants to make himself look. And right now he is in his awkward stage. I myself had an awkward stage that I I think was one for the ages. Someday in the future, (laughs) your son will look like a normal person. You will look back on photographs of him during his awkward stage and he'll be very embarrassed by them uh you'll maybe show a slideshow at his wedding that will be a great way to to make him embarrassed when he's a grown-up man with a normal haircut and a nice shave and wears clothes that fit properly and trims his nails and all of that um but until he starts having actual hygiene problems i i don't think you have any concern here or really that it's any business of yours frankly
4: Mm. yeah you guys said exactly what i feel but even in stronger language and uh i just want to co-sign what you both said that shit is
1: I cute. should also say it's, it's like very easy for me to say all this because you know Henry, who's been out of this phase for a while, is like so well groomed, like he like is <laughs> like crushing it in like all those areas. So it's very easy for me, and I have now the opposite obnoxious feeling where like I'm super proud of like what he looks like, and I'm like, isn't he so handsome, everyone? And uh, and I'm like, that's also that's also not good. It's not good, uh, but it's especially not good when it's like kind of going the other way because it's really about me. It has nothing to do. <laughs> with him I at would, yeah,
4: all. I, yeah, I, also, Ezra does have this thing with his nails, which drives me fucking crazy. He likes his nails long, which I find to be the most <laughs> horrific thing I can ever... And, and the so problem good. is, and this is where it really gets honest, I've been a lifelong nail biter. I've been a nail biter my whole life. Like, there was never a time in my life at which I was a nail biter. And I've been doing it for so many decades that I now have it down to a science, so I know how to groom my nails perfectly via biting. And so my nails <laughs> <laughs> and so my nails look perfect, you know, like I'm looking at them right now and they they don't look like the nails of like a a hyper anxious like person, but But they're short and they've always been short and they've never been in the way. And Ezra has these long nails, like he's a fucking Spanish guitarist, and I cannot (laughs) understand why he does it. And every time, there there are times when he's been sitting next to me and I've just, he's been talking and I haven't heard a word he said because all I can fantasize about is getting nail clippers (laughs) and just clipping his nails, just holding him down. But it's like, I can't do that because this is what he's into for whatever fucking reason. This is his thing, so Godspeed, young man. Go out into the world and be you with your fucking talons of death.
3: I think it's important to recognize that when there's a, when there's a kid who's a teenager, their parents. Ideas or opinions about what they should look like. What would be a good handsome attractive way for them to present themselves are just (laughs) Completely irrelevant right? It's as though like if your 15 year old son is super into a particular kind of music And you want to tell him that that's not actually the good kind of music that actually the good kind of music is this kind of music That I your parent like and I'm gonna play you these really great records so that you can get into really good music Do you think that will help actually steer your child's musical taste? It definitely won't (laughs) at all and these presentational choices are exactly like that the fact that you think he would look so handsome if he just got a nice haircut and trimmed his nails is not relevant to him in any way
4: right yeah and they're also they're also based too on just being old-ass fucking people like our aesthetics (laughs) are the aesthetics of old-ass fucking people and we have to be honest about that i remember when i was like 16 my mother Bought like bought me a leather like like a leather briefcase. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, and it. she was so it was the most beautiful thing in the world to her. And she she had this whole vision of how I would dress and how I would be this. And I just was like, what the fuck is this? Like I, you know, when I was a teenager, I looked like a. I mean, I looked crazy. I'd cut. I like sewed my own clothes. You know, I would like cut. I mean, I had like crazy hair. Like I was on my own bullshit, and I had bad hygiene, so I had. Nothing good going. And it, and now I can see that it drove my mother crazy. It made her panic so much because she cared so much about appearances. And she just wanted me to, like, get, a, like, a nice leather, like, briefcase and, like, maybe, a, like, a nice trench coat or maybe a fedora and, like, look like a, a man about town. And I'm like, I, that is not, you know what I'm saying? That is cool for you, a 38, 42-year-old woman at whatever age. But that is not, that's not my thing. I don't understand that. Yeah. And I think we're doing the same thing with our kids.
1: Totally, well, and think about how you feel. Like as an adult, I know how I feel like when my mom is like, "You look so great. If only," da, da, da.
2: <laughs> it's like, <laughs> "Fuck you."
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: All right. Uh, I hope that was helpful. Um, you should definitely uh, listen to what Rebecca has to say on this. And um, go to our Facebook group and uh, post a picture of your son on our Facebook group so that we can really, everybody can really get the <laughs> full impression of full magnitude of what it is that you're talking about. Maybe we should Maybe, all post pictures from our awkward I was just stages. thinking about that. I yeah. want to see Carvel in pictures. his homemade clothes.
4: Yeah. I don't know if I have any pictures of those. I was just thinking, but I do have a picture of myself from eighth grade that is I literally am the ugliest person on the planet of Earth in this picture.
3: So Aww.
4: I mean, I really, even now, you know, they say, you look back and you'll see you're beautiful. I see that with all the other pictures, but that one eighth grade class picture, I'm like, <laughs> I look like a fucking potato with eyes. Like, what is even <laughs> happening right now? So I, I might <laughs> post that
3: all right let's do a thread of everybody's awkward <laughs> stage pictures uh, not, group- I
1: don't have any of mine but I will post uh, I'm very comfortable posting my son's disgusting phases and how cute they are now so I'll I'll, I'll I'll submit that to maybe give some comfort to this mother so she can yeah. uh, you know look forward to a better future all right <laughs> and I'll herself. get in touch
3: with I'll get in touch with Rebecca's mother and get some really good pictures <laughs> when she was like sounds 16. good That group is uh, go to Facebook and search for uh, Slate Parenting. It's time for the part of the show where we do recommendations. We call that part recommendations. Rebecca, what have you got for recommendations?
1: Uh, I am recommending a brand new addiction that I found on Netflix. And this is under the category of shows that you can watch with kids of any age. And it's super fun. It's a show called uh, Amazing Interiors. And as uh, some of you may know, I uh, briefly had a podcast called HGTV and Me, in which uh, I basically and a bunch of other smart people riffed on home improvement shows. So I'm like super into that genre. Period. But what's so great about this show, Amazing Interiors? It's just really, really well done. It's about people who live in houses that look normal on the outside and have some sort of like batshit, weird, crazy thing on the inside. Like the whole house might be decorated like it's a circus. Or in the opening episode, one of the houses they show Show this man in Israel has one of the largest interior fish tanks of any house in the world, and he has to dive into it in like a scuba outfit to feed the fish. (laughs) It's so good. And it's like, it's just it's really well done. It's it's like each each episode features like four houses, and the episodes are only a half an hour long, so like it keeps your attention. There's no commercials that's on Netflix. I watched like four episodes of it last night with Henry and his girlfriend, and then Kevin came home from a work event, and we watched like like three more. It's super good. So I really recommend it. It's called Amazing Interiors and it's on Netflix.
3: Nice. Uh, I'm going to recommend something we did uh, at home last night. This was my wife's idea and I thought it was just batshit. Uh, and and it basically was, but it was really fun too. Um, it's called an upside down dinner. Uh, what you do is you eat your dinner Under the table on the floor instead of on the table, and you eat it in reverse order. So we had ice cream, and then we had our like uh, lentil salad, and then we had um, uh, for an appetizer, we had like olives and stuff. And it is weird for so many reasons. You're under the table, you're full on ice cream, and you really don't, uh, your kids are really not going to be as into eating their lentils if you can no longer bribe them with the promise of dessert. The whole thing is weird. Um, It has a couple of advantages. The first one is um, afterwards, you don't have to clean the table. You only have to clean the floor, which you were going to have to do anyway if you have small children. Um, And then the other advantage is it just kind of opens up spaces of possibility within family life that nobody quite knew were there, and and afterwards... The kids are like, huh, that
4: was weird. I guess you can do that.
3: Um, So upside down dinner is my recommendation. Carvel, what's yours?
4: I love that. Uh, I am recommending uh, a book called Ghost Boys by Jewel Parker Rhodes, which is one of the, a couple of weeks ago when I was in Pittsburgh, I was at my favorite bookstore, which is City of Asylum in North, in the north side of Pittsburgh. Um, and uh, they they had all these, it's like they did all my recommendations for months in advance because they had all the best young adult books laid out and explained. And I was like, this is fascinating. And so this is from that collection. It's called Ghost Boys. It's a It is for kids, it's realistic fiction for kids, probably middle grades and up. It does address police violence. In fact, the story is that a 12 year old is shot by police at the beginning and becomes a ghost and then spends um the rest of the book, Understanding the World from the point of view of a ghost. And um it it's really it's a really complex and beautiful novel. I didn't read the entire thing, but I read, I'd say, like half of it in the bookstore and was just blown away by the writing. And also it so the characters are the kid kind of like goes and experiences people in the afterlife, including meeting Emmett Till, but then also has this interaction with the daughter of the police officer who pulled the trigger, who herself is twelve and has to figure out what she thinks about everything. And so it's a really complicated novel, but it's really beautifully and easily told in a way that I think kids can understand. It's a, it's a young adult novel. Like I said, for kids aged, uh, you know, middle grades and up realistic fiction, historical fiction. Um, it's called ghost boys by Jewel Parker Rhodes.
3: Nice. Um, we'll put that recommendation, all our recommendations on our show page. And also, if you're a Slate Plus member, you can see the database of every recommendation that's ever been made on any Slate podcast ever throughout history at slate.com endorsements. And that's our show. Uh, if you have a question that you want us to address, you can call us at 424-255-7833 or send us an email at slate.com. If you're not yet a member of our Facebook group, go right now to Facebook, search for Slate Parenting, and join up. Uh, we'll be discussing the show there, and other parents will be sharing their own triumphs, fails, recommendations, and problems. Uh, our show is produced by Benjamin Frisch. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoy. I'm Gabriel Roth. We'll see you next week.